I would like to welcome our listeners to the very first episode of the ABI Leadership Podcast Series. I'm Shelton Jeffries, and I serve as Chief of Staff to our guest, Derek Bullard, the CEO of Autism Behavioral Institute. Good morning, Derek. Thank you for making time to speak with me today. Oh, good morning, Shelton. I am so glad to be here. I'm excited about this new podcast series. So am I. Want to jump right in. Simon Sinek writes and speaks about the importance of knowing your why. So my first question is, why enter the space of autism services? Good question. You jumped right in, didn't you? Yes, <laughs> sir. I've been blessed throughout my career, really, to, to have a combination, I'd say, good luck, hard work, and divine intervention. And just started my career in banking, and by you know good fortune, was able to foster a child that was on the spectrum. The long story that I won't share here, but it really changed my career trajectory, opened me up to the world of autism and challenges that parents face with children with autism, the blessing that these parents have in these children that have autism. And what I've seen over the course of the last 25 years of my career are access to care issues. There's a shortage of available professionals who can diagnose autism. And then there's significant shortage of providers that provide evidence-based ABA therapy. And so for me, I think it goes back to kind of my first foray into health and human services back about 25 years ago. Just it's a special population and very passionate about ensuring that children have access to the professionals and the services that we provide. Wow, your passion is evident. My next question is, can you tell our listeners more about your leadership background? Because again, your passion in this space is obvious. Yeah, well, I touched on it a little bit. So I started my career in banking, and I'll try to make this quick. Through really, I say divine intervention, I had just went to work for NCNB. And not too long after that, my mom was in banking. She lost her job. They laid her department off. And she ended up seeing a TV commercial for an organization in, in Charlotte called Youth Homes. And Long story short, they adopted a child. And through that, through my being young and and naive, I thought, God, I've got a little brother. I can take him out. I can spend time with him. And what we know now who are in this field and who work with children with autism and mental health issues, we know that oftentimes you need really specialized training. And the CEO of that organization required that I go through training to spend time along with this child. This was before you even had RBTs or you had mental health technicians. And Not too long after I went through that training, I got a call, social worker called and said, you know, I know you don't want to do this full time, but we have a 15 year old that needs a placement for a few days. Would you consider taking him in your home until we can find a permanent foster care uh, placement for him? And he ended up living with me for almost four years. And it really changed the trajectory of my career. I threw myself into trying to learn everything I could about his diagnosis, everything I could do to help him. And fast forward about three or four years in the future, I ended up going to work for that same social worker who led an organization in Charlotte called the Family Center. And they provided traditional kind of brick and mortar cognitive behavioral therapy for children and adolescents and did that for a few years. And then in 1999, branched out and founded a company called Access Family Services. And over the course of 13 or 14 years, we grew several hundred employees in multiple states and really learned a lot over the years. And 
and since that time, I've worked on the developmental pediatric side. I've done work on the nonprofit side. I've done work on hospital side and healthcare, and especially children in pediatric healthcare and autism is really what I'm most passionate about. And it's certainly been an evolution, Shelton. I learn every day. I, I meet families. I learn folks, the staff that I meet. And the one thing that I will say I've learned over the years is, is you never really stop learning. And every day is, it's a blessing to get up and to enjoy what you do. That's a powerful outlook, and I really appreciate you giving us that background. Your knowledge and experience is expansive. At the end of 2021, Autism Behavioral Institute held a leadership retreat. All executives were in attendance, and I remember we opened the session with a protocol called Hopes and Fears. Please share with the audience, what is your hope as it relates to the future of Autism Behavioral Institute? You know, on the client standpoint, really my big, I know we've talked about this, Jim Collins, the author of Good to Great, What's Your BHAG? And my big audacious goal is that every child in this country that needs access to the evidence-based ABA therapy provide has access to that treatment. They have it in a timely manner because we know children with special needs and children with autism. Early intervention is so important in terms of outcomes. And so my big audacious goal, my moonshot, is that all across this country and certainly every child that needs access to this treatment gets it in a timely manner. We're able to really impart positive change and help every child you know, reach their maximum potential. Concurrently along kind of with that goal, equally important to me, is that we create a company and, and create a culture that in unison not only creates access to care, but develops a culture of compassion where, you know, Every single employee, regardless of your role, feels valued in their compensation, feels valued in their career and their learning goals and opportunities. And it's a challenge. You know, building a company, we're certainly a new company. I, these are the things that excite me. But I also think where we're at in our life cycle, for those that work with us and our partners in this, should also be excited because going through this a few times in the startup phase, one of the things I'm always most proud of is when you look back over the marathon, it's those folks that start out in those tech roles or they start out in a customer service role. And for us to be successful and for me to really feel like I've done a good job and we've done a good job as a company, it's client related and those we serve. And it's also equally in unison. How did we further develop and help our employees? And, and I'm most proud of my career when I look back and I have a group of folks with us at ABI that wanted to come with me at ABI. I think that for me, I feel very fortunate and blessed about that. But I look back on those that started their career in their early 20s and now they're in their mid-30s and early 40s. And they're in roles that I always knew they could be in. And to have had a, or played a small part in that, I'd say I'm very proud. So I'm, I'm hoping we can replicate that this. And I feel really strongly we can at ABI. Thank you so much for sharing your BHAG, your big, hairy, audacious goal. <laughs> yep. In conversations, you've referenced that you know we can't get there without quality talent. Yeah. You have an extensive track record of success with running and growing business. ABI is growing nationally, and we add new employees to our professional family every week. Please share your thoughts on what you want the typical ABI experience to be for our employees. Yeah, I, you know, this new normal, and I'll add a little bit of context to that you know, in answering that question, this new normal that's COVID, that, you know, I think everyone's feeling the, the COVID burnout and the stress and the, the mental health and the, the insecurities that go along with that. And, and I'd say as a company, 
organization. We've got to be flexible. We need to be nimble and we need to be ready to accept accountability and pivot when necessary. I want each of our employees, as I said, to, to feel like they've been trained appropriately. They're heard. I know in healthcare and especially in health and human services, you know, and I touched on this in our, my previous response is that, you know, it's really important that we help to mold and develop the next generation of leaders and clinical leaders. And so I want everyone's employee experience. I want them to feel like we embrace them, that we have an open door, even though that open door may be virtual as part of this new world, right. that we hear them because we have blind spots. I've got blind spots. I think those that have been with us now for a while, hopefully they will say that we listen and we act when it's appropriate. But I want them to know that, you know, their experience to be one to where they feel like they're valued, but concurrently, we're going to work with them to give them the opportunity to become all that they can be throughout this journey. Because again, I know that there'll be many folks that will no longer be with us. They'll move on to bigger and better things. Hopefully on their journey, we're a big part of that. And it's a positive experience. And I, I would say again, throughout this process, we want to be sure we have our ear to the ground and they know that. And not only we hear them, but we're willing to implement those things that, that we're hearing as we can implement. So that's really encouraging. I'm glad that our audience, especially our employees, get to understand your vision and that you're personally vested as a leader in their growth within ABI. We've talked a lot about your professional family, that being ABI. Can you please take a moment to introduce your family? Yeah, I have my beautiful wife. I've known my wife since ninth grade, and we have been together for a long time. Very fortunate. My wife, LaVon, we have 16-year-old twins, Taylor and Jackson. I have a 27-year-old son, Nicholas, him and his wife, Sandy, live in Asheville, North Carolina. And I've got two beautiful grandsons, Chandler and Nicholas, and soon to be a third grandson, Benjamin, who will be born in the next few months. And wow, so, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Very fortunate. I look, Shelton, honestly, I look back and I think, am I really in my 50s now? It, it's a blur. <laughs> Uh, and when I say grandkids, I'm like, I can remember a time some of those listening are probably listening to this thinking, God, when you hit your 50s, you're really old. And I, I don't feel <laughs> old. I don't feel it now. I'm like, I look back, I feel the same way I felt when I was in my mid 20s. So, absolutely. Uh, yeah. But very fortunate. My family is extremely supportive. You know, we all carry our work home with us. We, our hopes, our dreams, our aspirations. And I'm really proud of my family and feel very blessed. Well, thank you for introducing your family to our listeners. In that spirit of reflecting and hearkening back, what is the worst business advice you've ever received? So this is not just worst business advice, but I'd say worst advice. So when I was at Family Center, as I shared with you, I would left and went to work for a lady who I respect highly. Her name's Sally. I won't say her last name, but she still is in the Charlotte area. Sally moved on and took another role. We had a new executive director who took over that organization and the family center. And, and I'll share their name because and tell you why they were a 35 year old nonprofit in Charlotte that served children primarily in the foster care system. And this was late 98, early 1999. Mecklenburg County put out a request for proposals for contractors looking to do to put forth innovative new models in foster care. And I took this model, I, I took that RFP to the CEO of that organization at the time. I was in my, mm -hmm. keep in mind, I, I was in my probably 24, 25 at the time. Right. And young professional. Young yeah. professional. Didn't know what I didn't know. I was ambitious. In some ways that worked in my favor that I didn't know what I didn't know. But right. And I asked her, I said, this is something that family centers should do. It, it's within our mission. It makes sense. You know, there's a need for the service. Makes sense financially. 
she wasn't interested and uh, went home that night a day or two later went back to her and said do you mind if i if i do this if i put forth this proposal she literally laughed at me and i know that sounds cliche but she literally laughed at me and she said you have no idea what you were getting into I think again, she thought that we wouldn't or I wouldn't stand a chance of getting the RFP. And, right. but she gave me permission. Three weeks later, I'm standing in front of Mecklenburg County City Council. There's probably a hundred people in the room and that large, you've probably seen it, Shelton. You're from Charlotte, that large room that's like an auditorium that seats go straight up. There are people in there. It's myself, Mentor, which is a large national foster care agency, Omnivisions. It's and, an intimidating environment. Yeah. Well, you play sports. I use sports analogies and you hear about the zone. I look back on that and it was almost like an hour body experience. <laughs> I couldn't replicate the performance that I gave in the presentation, even if I tried the way that the questions were answered, the questions that were posed to me. And you were in the behold, zone. You're in the zone, right? And, and when you experience it, which is not that often, you can't manufacture it. It's just one of those things and got the contract. And wow. I remember going back to the CEO at the time and telling her, and she said, you're going to really regret doing this. This is going to cost you more money than you think. And you know what? She was right about that. What she was wrong about, though, was what perseverance, willpower, and just the ability and willingness to outwork others, how far that will take you, because that was my superpower. Fast forward about three years later, the family center was out of business. They were belly up. They were gone. They were out of business. And so for me, I, I, you know, you look for those little things to motivate you. I've always kind of felt like an underdog. I'm usually not the most educated person in the room. I'm educated, but I'm not always the most educated. And I've always kind of used that as my superpower. I've always tried to be overpaired. I've tried to really research and read and ask questions and been inquisitive. And so for me, the worst business advice I'd say was don't do what I ended up doing, which is what brought me to ABI and where I'm at today. So very compelling story. Thank you so much for sharing that with our listeners. Just to be balanced, share with us what was the best business advice you've received? I think there's been a lot of good business advice I've had over the years. I've got a lot of mentors I still talk to to this day, but I'd say there's no substitute for hard work. There's just no substitute for hard work. And you could be the most educated. You could be the most highly gifted physician. You could be the most highly gifted athlete. If you've got both. If you're those things, you're highly gifted, you have a natural propensity to leadership or business or medicine or therapy, you're 80% of the way. But if you also are willing to know that, you know, we're always evolving, you're always learning, and you're willing to put in the work, you can move mountains. And so I'd say for me, it's just there's no substitute for putting the work in. Even to this day, there's no substitute for no amount of money, experience, resources, knowledge, you still have to put the work in and and you put the hard work in. And I think anyone that wants to make a difference, whether it's treating children or, or building an organization or doing anything of significant value, has to be willing to put the hard work in. And I think if you're willing to do that, you can accomplish just about anything. And so for me, I was given that advice many, many years ago, not around, around the same time that I was sharing with you, I got the negative advice from the CEO of the Family Center, I had another mentor, Donald Robinson, who's still a friend to this day, said, you can do it if this is what you want to do, but just, you know, you got to put in the hard work. And I've seen that over and over again. Hard work overcomes a lot. Derek, that is such an inspiring message. Thank you so much for sharing. In closing, please share with us, what is your hope 
for our new podcast series. I hope we can use this to really communicate and get to know each other, you know, better through various forums. I think this is one of the forums that we can use. I hope again that staff will listen to this and get to know me a little better. We're growing in size and scope, you know, the ways in which we engage in the old world. And I know we've talked about the Shelton. You'd have an office, you'd walk down the office, you'd share, you'd have photos up, you'd share stuff with your coworkers, you know, in the hallway, those nuances. I really believe that there's something to be said with that human interaction. And I will say, as an organization, now that we're going to have a little bit of reprieve from COVID, I believe the next several months, I look forward to meeting many of our employees personally and connecting with them. But I think this, I hope this podcast is a mechanism for us to get to know each other better, to learn, to advance our knowledge in the field, but also connect. And so this is the first of many things we'll probably implement. There's probably some things we'll learn from the podcast and our communication with staff that need to be put in place that are great ideas. But, you know, we're in this new world, this new post-COVID world. We're remote in many instances and Again, I hope this is one of many tools we develop where we can engage and connect because I think that's one of the most important pieces of the work we do. It's that connectedness. And so I hope people can take away to learn a little more about me through this. I know that we're going to highlight other staff and employees, and we may even do some training and then just open discussions. I'm excited. I think this is it's certainly new to me, and I've learned from you, Shelton, and kind of putting this in place. So I appreciate all the work that you've done in preparing for this. Well, Derek, thank you so much. It's really exciting to get a glimpse into the motivations and the experiences of our CEO. So thank you again for making that time. To our audience, thank you for tuning in. And I'm excited as well that we can utilize this ABI Leadership Podcast Series to tell the stories that are so compelling about all of the leaders that we have internally. So please tune in for the next episode. Take care. Thank you.